Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, she's a photographer and author. It's Jacqueline Phillips. How are you doing today, Jacqueline? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the game. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. So I'm from Mesa, Arizona. I moved all of 10 minutes south to Gilbert, Arizona. Um, <laughs> Growing up, I was really into sports. I was into theater. I was high academic achieving. Basically, my home life wasn't very fun. So anything that would get me out of the house and away from my family was the best thing I could do. Specifically, what sports did you enjoy um, playing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, volleyball, track, soccer, basketball. If, if it kept me moving quickly, I was in my happy place. Was that kind of like a hidden talent? Did you find any hidden talents when you were playing those sports that you had in you? I'm very scrappy. I was I was <laughs> never like <laughs> I was never like top tier because I'm not super tall and I'm not super big, but I was small and I was fast and I was scrappy and that got me through enough to get me where I needed to be. I never took it into college or anything because I joined the workforce uh, very early in my youth. So I didn't go very far with it, but I still enjoy it. I still go to the gym four times a week. I love running. My son is into volleyball right now, so I'm teaching him everything I learned. Uh, he still hates the fact that I'm a better basketball player than him, but that's okay. <laughs> so, you know, he's like that much taller than me now. Um, you know, mom still has some moves, even though she's not as young as she used to be. You mentioned that you wanted to do anything that took you outside of the household. What did those interactions with maybe friends or teammates that helped with being outside of your house and enjoying being a kid? Oh, I, I had really great coaches in my youth and they kind of held that parent role that I wasn't getting at home. So, I mean, my peers were great, but I never really wanted to be transparent with them Everything was great. Everything's fantastic. And then I had my my peer coaches and my adult coaches, you know, through sports that, you know, really filled a parenting role that wasn't being fulfilled at home. So they were a safety net for me. They were a place that I could go and talk. Was there anything that triggered that not being able to be transparent with your parents at home that result or resulted in finding those coaches and being able to be open with them? So I went to school in an upper middle class neighborhood. My family was not upper middle class. We were goodwill, hand-me-down, church food box on Friday, you know, we're welfare kids. And to go to a school where that is frowned upon and looked down upon, I, I really had a hard time making friends as a kid because I wasn't like the people I was around. I had to hide who I was because that was looked down on. And, and so I didn't really have like that group of friends that you grow up with, even though my neighborhood was just minutes from theirs, I was bust in and that divide really made it hard to have friendships growing up. So I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of friends. Did you feel very isolated when you were going to school because of where you came from? Oh, absolutely. I, I knew that people knew I came from the poor side of town. And so, you know, I, I excelled academically and I excelled on the field, but that wasn't enough because, well, she's just the poor kid. Like, you're gross. You're smelly. Why can't your parents afford food? Where's your dad? Like, all of those things were held against me and they were barriers to, to really having a foundation of success growing up. Not that I couldn't overcome them, but that I didn't have a lot of a normal, healthy upbringing 
because of those challenges. And it's sad that people, kids especially, they kind of utilize that and kind of make fun of kids that how they grow up. And it's like, it's not the kid's fault. And now, and with like, when I grew up, everyone was, the question's always asked, well, where did you go to high school? Or where did you go to school? And everyone starts judging you based on where you went. And I went to a school that everyone thought, oh, we were rich. My family had money. But then growing up for me, my mom was a teacher. She didn't make that much money. My dad was in and out jobs and making paycheck to paycheck. And so having that label kind of hurts because you're thinking, did I do something wrong? Why are other people like, you want that lifestyle, but I feel like, did you learn a lot about the lifestyle that you lived where as you're growing up to where you are today, it's taught you a lot more. Oh, my hustle and grind is it it can't be beat. And it's because I'm so afraid of what that life looks like as an adult. It was hard enough as a kid. I don't want to do that as an adult. And I don't want to do that to my son. So having multiple jobs or multiple revenue streams or, you know, going to school while going to work, like all of that carried on. And I, I don't know how to not exhale because I'm so afraid that I won't have something that, that poverty mentality, I have yet to outgrow it. Mm-hmm. It just kind of sits on my shoulder and goes, you don't need that. You should just put that money away. Yeah, Hang on to it. You never know when it's going to go away. And while it's a great mentality to have, it's very limiting. And you you lose a lot of the joy in things because you're like, well, I really want to enjoy this, but I just spent so much money. Or I really want those Muse tickets, but I really should not be spending that kind of money as much as I love this band. That's me every day. Do I buy this? Do I really need this? I I will call my mom and ask her three times the same question. I really want this, but should I buy this or not? And she's like, just buy it. Like it's, it's hard to enjoy purchasing. It's when hard because you're like, but that's so much money. What what if could I do something else with that? So yeah, it's, it's kind of a balancing act, a hundred percent. You talked about theater you liked doing growing up. What kind of theater did you do, like performance wise? Absolutely. So um, I did community theater. There's uh, children's theaters called East Valley Children's Theater. It's still in existence today. It was monumental in my growth and my ability to have, you know, communications and stage presence and and put myself out in the adult world because I, I did grow up a lot faster than most of my peers. Uh, I did theater in high school and middle school. Uh, I have done occasional acting jobs as an adult. I've been in a Walmart commercial. I was in a small film. Um I, I love acting and I love creating and, and I have actually found a way to make that into a profession uh, here in Arizona. I'm a photographer and I photograph everything from expectant mothers to newborns, to small children, to high school seniors, to senior citizens and everything in between. And so I get to have set design and costume design and all these really cool elements of stage that I get to bring into my profession. So I'm, I'm kind of the theater geek that makes a living <laughs> and I get to do that in my home. And I'm so spoiled, (laughs) but it's my favorite thing in the world. I get to make art. Is there a performance that you kind of wish you got that chance to do? Like something that was different or you didn't have the opportunity? No, because I really think that every performance that I was cast in, I had a purpose there. And if I didn't, there was a another purpose that it served. So I would have loved to have been cast in Beauty and the Beast, but at the time I needed to be working. 
mm-hmm. because I needed to be building my future. So I didn't get to do that show, that run. And while it would have been fun, I, I don't feel like I lost anything because of that. I've always looked at it as there's a purpose for everything and everything falls in place at a certain time. Yep. You talked about you had to work early in your journey. What was that dream job? If you had the path given to you, where would that dream job taken you? I'd be a florist. Okay. Why? How come? I love plants and I love flowers and I love playing with flowers. It's just another artistic medium. I, I had planned on becoming a florist. And then I, you know, in eighth grade, someone gave me a printout about, you know, what a florist does and what kind of degree it requires and what kind of money you'd make. And I looked at the money and I went, oh, I need a, I need a more fundraising kind of dream. So we're going to, we're going to put that one on the back burner. And now that's just a hobby. Um, I, my first job, I actually got fired on the first day because I lied on my application about my age. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I told them I was 15. I was so very much not 15. And this restaurant hired me on the spot. And then when they got my 1099 and all my other paperwork back in, he slid me a 20 and he said, you were never here. You should go back to babysitting. So I I joined the workforce very early, worked all through high school, um, got into college. I did an occupational sciences degree. And so I was working in the healthcare field at 19, working on critical care patients. So, I mean, I I went in and hit it hard. I I got into medicine because my mom was sick and I thought I could save her. And you, you can't save someone that doesn't want to save themselves. Mm-hmm. So I went in selfishly. And while I was fantastic at it, uh, I was going to school to be a doctor. And I was already working at the hospital. So I would do a 12-hour overnight shift. And then I'd walk across the street to campus. And then I'd go right to school. And I just burned out. And as good as my diagnostics were and as great as my bedside manner was, there was not enough of me to go the distance. And I really had to accept that limitation. And that was hard for me because there was nothing I had, anything I had set my mind out to, I had pretty much gotten it so far in life. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I had hit a stumbling block that I, I couldn't overcome. And so instead of plowing through to my own demise, I, I figured out, okay, we need to reevaluate. We need to readjust. Where does this next path go? And the next path ended up being a business degree and a photography career, right as digital started. So to tell you how far back I go, my first digital camera was three megapixels. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a $1,000 camera for this tiny little picture. Um, But within months of opening this career and going for it, I've always been in the black. I've never been in the red. And I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm constantly growing and evolving. And at one point, I owned a wedding venue. And so I had multiple businesses underneath my belt. And so it was the hardest thing I've ever had to get past. But I don't regret that the journey took me there because I've, I've learned a lot and I still love medicine. I love science, but my heart, my soul belonged to art. Did that burnout period kind of take a toll on you personally where it kind of changed your path as a career, but did it change your path personally and what you were wanting to do? Uh, that was the that was the cavalcade of self sabotage. 
because, well, if I could give up on this dream, what else can I give up on? What else do I really have to fight for? Mm-hmm. It, it, it messed me up pretty bad. I, I wasn't a fun person to be around. My relationships were falling apart. I really, I hated my family because they were the reason I went into medicine. I was constantly fighting with my boyfriend because I was tired all the time and I couldn't, I shouldn't have been in a relationship, but I was trying to have it all. And sometimes you don't have to have it all. Sometimes you should just really focus on getting a few things in order before you try and expand. And this was all at 21 that I had just had this epic meltdown of why, why am I even fighting for this? Who is, who am I fighting for? I'm not fighting for me. I don't really want any of this, but I also suffered from mental health issues. I have depression and anxiety. I have CPTSD. Um, And all of that was undiagnosed at that time. So everything was hard and everything just felt useless. So it it completely changed my drive. I still had drive because I don't fail. Never say fail. But my drive kind of vanished for a while. I really just, I didn't, I didn't have an identity. I didn't know who I was or what I was supposed to do because this thing that I thought I was going to manifest didn't. In the end, it always works out. The, the the road to that working out was very rough and jagged. Listening to what you mentioned where you had that dream of going in a position where it was for someone else, but then you had that burnout time and it kind of really reevaluated your what you wanted to do. And hearing how you mentioned that you went into the business degree route and that started kind of the positive ride in a way because you kind of looked at what am I going to enjoy? And I think so many people nowadays you see with cultures and families where they're specifically supposed to be doing this job, but you know that that child does not want to do it. And when they find that passion, they are so excited to see what's next. It's a completely different trajectory when you go from what I think everyone is supposed to tell me to do to what do I really want to do? Yeah. I didn't even realize that photography was going to be my career. It was, I'm just going to get a business degree because I can put it into something. Exactly. I figure out what I'm doing. And then it's, it's really happenstance. My, my then boyfriend and I, at the time we went on a road trip, we bought a camera and he goes, you take really good pictures. You should do something with this. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> and now said boyfriend is now said husband. We've been together 20 years this month. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> with photography, do you prefer when you first start getting into it? Did you prefer doing like nature or people? Like, usually you see the people that like the wildlife photography, but then you got the people who like the people, the setting, kind of the event style. So I will be 100% transparent with you. I am completely self-taught when it comes to photography. So I eventually started taking classes and learning things and going to seminars. But when I first started, I had a camera. I took pictures of everything. (laughs) The, the, The fire hydrant that had the thing burst off and the water's pouring out. The, the guy smoking a cigarette sitting on the bench. I wanted to photograph everything because I just wanted to learn and absorb and just 
I had this tool and I could express myself with no words. Like mm-hmm. I write and I love to write, but this, this was something completely different because I could invoke emotion without a word. And yeah. so I just took pictures of everything all day long between classes. I'd walk around on campus and I would just, I'd photograph shadows and the way things lined up. And I just, oh, it's, it's so my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> but no, right now I love people. I've always loved people. I love interaction. I'm a very high energy kind of photographer. I'm very goofy and silly. We have a good time. It's very not JC Penny where we <laughs> <laughs> we don't tilt our head. In fact, I will make fun of people who by default tilt their head. I'll, I'll remind them we're not at JC Penny. You can straighten your head back up. <laughs> Huge dork, self aware. But I, I've done landscape. It's it's very tedious and boring, and I cannot sit still long enough. I have had the pleasure and the opportunity to go to Africa and photograph wildlife. Ooh. And I'm just like, okay, now what are you going to do? And there's just a lot of sitting and I just can't sit still. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get out of the safari truck and get closer to the action. And the guy's like, no, you're not leaving. You sit down. Just, just sit down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a big goal with your photography business that you're hoping to accomplish? It's the same goal I have every year. I want it to keep being fun. If it's not fun for me, I don't want to do it anymore. I, the money's great. Don't get me wrong. The money is great. I could probably make more if I really wanted to dial it in and and do all that, but that's not fun for me. Mm -hmm. I, I could probably take on more, but then it wouldn't be as fun. I've after 17 years, I've really kind of got my lane And I'm really happy in this lane. And so that's the goal is to stay happy in the lane and things that try to get into that lane. I'm just going to, you know, just kind of push them off to the side and here, you know what? I got somebody who's better for you. Why don't you go with this guy or Hey, this lady does this thing that you're looking for. It's not me. That's okay. We're we're just going to stay in this lane because in this lane are the good people that fit me just right. Yeah. They fill my heart with joy and they make my job fun and they have, they give me that creative freedom because they know if they let me be, it's going to be great. That's all I want. I just want to be happy at work. And I'm so fortunate that I am. I think a lot of people need to take that same thought and utilize it with their job that they're in. I think for me, I'm, I always look at, am I enjoying the people that I'm around? Am I enjoying the kind of the freedom to not feel micromanaged? But do I see, can I grow from it? And if I'm able to answer all three of those, I know this job is worth it. And I know people that if they start hating it, I always say to them, what's stopping you? There's so many other jobs out there that you could be happy and enjoying. It's out there. You just got to go for it. But I love that you're excited about it. And just from the seconds we've talked, and that's so important nowadays. I don't think that everyone has that luxury. And I, I, it took a while to get to this point. And I think that's, you know, that whole 10,000 hours before you've reached mastery. I'm well yeah. past that 10,000 hours, but it's so true. Once, once I found my, my stride, I can go forever. Yeah. And it, it wasn't always easy and it was scary. And there were a lot of times when I just would cry and go, why am I doing this? I could just, I could just go get another dumb job and pay the bills the same way, but I wouldn't, be where I am and I wouldn't be happy. Yep. 
I understand why people are fearful. Change is scary. I, oh, when yeah. I closed my wedding venue, I was terrified. I had two jobs that were completely different, even though they overlapped. And I had to close one. The numbers weren't working out. The landlord situation wasn't working out. I'm like, you know what? I'm not happy. I'm actually miserable. It's time to close this door. And I was really afraid what life looked like only having one career. Mm -hmm. And the first three months were terrifying. I kept waking up going, oh my gosh, my calendar's not full. I'm not used to this. What do I do? What am I doing wrong? Is it me? And I just had to let it breathe. It was a complete transition that I needed to let breathe. And now my calendar's full month after month after month. And I'm happy and I'm in love with my job and the people that I work for. And it all worked out, but it was scary. So I, I understand the fear in change. But I also understand that you can't find out what the other side looks like if you don't make that leap. Exactly. You so know, I built my yeah. nest egg. Don't get me wrong. I didn't free fall. We, we had built <laughs> a nest egg. We, we had transitions built in. We had, you know, a safety net. And that's what gave me the freedom to fly was that I had, I had built that little nest in case if I crashed and burned, I could get through until things picked up. So I think if you do it smart, make the leap because no one's guaranteed tomorrow. Exactly. How did you start wanting to become a self-published author? So I have undergone a transformation with my mental health. Um, I, I used to have suicidal ideology. Um, about six years ago, I had a failed attempt and I had decided that enough was enough. Either I needed to get better or I needed to be done. But I have a wonderful young man upstairs that I have formed of my own DNA and he needs a mom. And so every day he saves my life. And so every day I fight to be here for him. And so I, I went through all of these different types of therapy because with CPTSD, so that's chronic uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. These are things that are happening when I was in my developmental, you know, first five years and so on. So having to attack that, you can't, it's not always just traditional therapy that works. Mm -hmm. So I had dialectical behavioral therapy. I did ketamine therapy with a clinic. I had a regular counselor. I had a doctor adjusting hormones. I had all of these different facets coming in. And I understand with American social, you know, with Americans medicine, that is not always a luxury that people have. I'm very fortunate and I will never take for granted what I had available to me, but I did the work and I went, you know what? It would have been really nice if someone had told me all of these options were available and where to find them and what they were instead of having to do it all myself. So I wrote this book talking about this journey from going from, I, I want to hang myself from my staircase because I know that a brain injury will be sustained as opposed to other methods that might fail to, I love my life. I love my husband. I love my son. I want to go to the gym. I want to make things better in this world. I want to be proactive. And so this, this book basically was like, well, you've done all this work. Well, now what do you do with all the work? You're good, but can't you help somebody else? Mm -hmm. So I just, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I'm intimidated by big books. So it's, it's a small book and it's a quick read. And if you go on to Amazon's audible, I'll even read it to you. Uh, yay, theater. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll read it to you. And 
it tells you all the steps that I took and it may not fit for you, but there's a lot of good material in there and it's very raw. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the first line. I'm a piece of shit. And because for a really long time, I really was. And I was, I had my blinders up to just how awful of a person I was to the people in my life and around me and the world I existed in. And I, I don't want people to live like that if they don't have to. So if, if, if you find that you're struggling to figure out what's the next step in my healing journey with mental health, this book is a great tool. It's a resource. It's not a one and done. It's sort of one of those, you know, when you're, you're playing your video game and you have to unlock a side quest and you yeah. unlock the side quest and you go back to the game and you're like, oh my gosh, that Easter egg makes so much more sense now. You can come back to it over and over and over again and you'll glean something new and different. Um, I, I wrote it myself. I had a great editing team. I published it myself. I don't think I'll ever do it again. I suck at selling books. I had no idea what I was doing. I did this whole thing during COVID because I was home and I wasn't working. And I went, I got to do something. Mm -hmm. And so this beautiful thing exists and it's out in the world. It's been out for a couple of years now. And, you know, every now and again, it brings me a great opportunity like you. What kind of reactions have you gotten from the book? Have you had people that have gone through similar journeys and that they can relate or they learned a new way of taking on the challenge. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, my mom read it and she threatened to sue me. So that was exciting. Oh, <laughs> um, my husband read it, which I didn't expect. And that was interesting getting his take on it. He's like, yep. Okay. I'm glad we're still here. Um, but you know, as, as people read it, they would come to me and they'd say, I thought I was the only one, you know, mm -hmm. when I talk about, you know, sexuality and, how you know especially women as girls are taught all of it is bad and it's not it's actually not bad it's it's human nature and part of life and and we should address it appropriately so that girls have good you know health around that um so you know being told you know i thought i was the only one or you know i i was told that as a kid too but i never questioned it mm -hmm. um, it it really it shocked a lot of people because of how brutally honest I am. But I feel like if you're in that vulnerable place, the last thing you want is a candy coated, you can do it. Yeah. No, I'm going to reach down in the mud with you and I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to say, hey, you can do this and I'm going to help give you leverage. You got to get dirty. That's all there is to it. Did your husband know everything that was in the book or did anything surprise him or that you never told him before? I don't think he realized just how close I was to actually committing suicide. Like mm -hmm. he knew I was in a really bad place, but I don't, I don't think he realized that like I had a fully functional plan and the only one piece of it that I couldn't control was the one piece that kept me from going all the way. Wow. Did it now bring you guys closer because he's willing to be in the mud if needed? He was always in the mud. I was too much of a kid to notice it. He's He had been there the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I just, I couldn't see that he was, you know, knee deep in it, just always there. I just, I wouldn't reach for him. And I think... Of the very few regrets I have in my life, the fact that it took me so long to see that he was always there is one that I can't undo, 
but I can now go back and say, I see you. Mm-hmm. And I saw yeah. you in that place. And I, I appreciate you so much for just always being there. Even if you didn't know how to help, you got in the mud with me. And I feel like I have spent the last six years really trying to return the gratitude and be available and get in his mud when he gets into the mud with him. You know, if there's room for me and he wants me there, I will step in there and be there for him. And I, I think the, the way I saw myself and the way I kept people at arm's length, I was always afraid of being hurt. So if I didn't keep you close enough that I could touch you, you couldn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. I keep you just far enough out of reach that, well, if I'm hurting, you can't fix it. So go away. It's all my fault. Like self-sabotage was really my jam for a good portion of my 20s and early 30s. And I am so happy to be past that. And a lot of self-sabotage just comes from a lack of not having control. Um, I am a control freak by nature. Uh, I think that's why theater and I got along so well, because you have to control all the variables in theater to make the show run. Yeah, that's where that's my life. I, I owned a wedding venue. It's a production. I controlled all the variables and it all flowed. And when I couldn't control a variable, I would snap. You can't control other people. And I would snap. I, I couldn't control my emotions and I would snap. So control was a big interchangeable factor with self-sabotage. And I think that's a key thing that people are missing. I don't look to mess up my own way. I don't mean to be my own hurdle, but if I can't control what's going to happen on the other side of that hurdle, well, I don't want to jump over the hurdle. You can keep your hurdle. I'm slowly peeling back the layers of control. (laughs) My son is a sophomore in high school. I have to let him go into the real world. It is very much challenging my level of control because I have to let him leave the nest and I want to keep him forever because he's the best. (laughs) A line that you utilize and throughout learning more about you is speaking the truth. What does that line signify for you? I was a habitual liar. Like the dumbest things I would lie about. And... I I lied because I didn't think people liked who I was. I lied because I wanted to look cool. I lied because we weren't supposed to tell my stepdad how much money mom had spent. I lied because, yeah, I totally have my own car. You know, I, I lied about everything because I didn't think anybody actually liked who I was. And so that had just been my modus operandi for decades. And so now, you know, the, the truthiness of it is that I don't have to pretend either mm-hmm. you like me or you don't. And that's okay. Yep. Not everybody likes tequila. Some of us do. That's <laughs> okay. I'm, I, I got a few mezcals that are pretty good. If you ever have a question about it, uh, <laughs> it's okay to not have everybody love you. And I think that was something that I, because I didn't feel loved growing up, I craved it so much and I didn't learn how to love myself. And so I, I didn't know what that was like. And I was pouring from this empty cup for so long that like, I just, I would fill it with lies because then I had something 
And so to, to live in my truth is to say, you know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I'm accepting of my mistakes because I'm human. And knowing that I'm not the right fit for everybody. But if I'm not, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with me. It just means that that isn't supposed to happen. Something else will, or someone else will come in, or another job will be a better fit. You know, you, you have silly putty and you kind of mush it into all the corners, but then you have this weak spot in the putty because you've stretched it so thin. When, when you quit stretching yourself to fill all the gaps, you're whole. Mm-hmm. And that feels really good. And when you're whole, you don't have to lie. And you can just say, hey, this is me. It's not so bad. It's similar to when we were all kind of kind of taught growing up where I just want everyone to like me. And so you're yeah. willing to do anything to make the cool kids like you, but then your core group like you or the band people to like you. And I had that mentality until I got older. And I'm like, these people aren't going to care about me. Like you find the people that are truly going to be your friends are the ones that are going to come back to you. And especially in college, I noticed that because when you graduate college, who's going to continue to talk to you? You're not living with each other 24 seven, but I get that kind of where you just want everyone to like you. And we know that's not going to happen, but you just got to be honest and let those people know who the real person is because that's going to determine if they're going to become friends with you or they can enjoy being around you and things like that. Yeah. Not everyone is going to, you know, pick up the phone for you at 2 a.m. when you call. Those <laughs> yeah. people that really love you. They'll answer that call. Those are the people in the friendships that you really want to invest in. The people that are going to pick up that phone and say, okay, I've got a shovel. Where are we going? Yeah. Those are the people you want to put your energy into. Not everyone is going to benefit you and you're not going to benefit everybody else. And that is perfectly fine. One person you mentioned throughout this interview that is a special person in your life is your son. What is the biggest thing being a mother has taught you? You talked about how being in his life is so important to your mental health and being where you are today. But what's something else being a mother has taught you? It is a whole different kind of love. I, this thing walks in the world around you and it's, it's inextricably linked to you. And this love that you have, even on my most challenging days with him, or when he was a three-year-old and he was kind of an asshole. I still <laughs> love him. I'm sorry. Like three-year-olds are just terrorists. They say terrible twos. It's a, it's a lie. Three-year-olds are the worst. Everybody knows it. Even the best of kids. And he's a good kid. And there were still days where I'm like, dude, I'm not sure you're going to see four if you don't turn this around. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I just have this amount of love for him that I've never had for anything or anyone. I love him more than my husband. (laughs) <laughs> he's the reason I breathe oxygen. He's the reason I work 50 hours a week because I want to give him the world. He is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I look at him and I, I see him as he's growing and becoming an adult. And I just, I have this overwhelming sense of pride that like, I did this and I did a good job. Like growing up with a traumatic childhood and an unstable home and a really toxic parent 
to be able to completely break that cycle of abuse and build this beautiful soul who is just kind and smart and loving and wants the best out of everyone. That's, that's the Super Bowl and the lottery and the World Series and American Idol all wrapped up into one. And I get it every single morning when I wake up and I drive him to school. This amazing thing that I've made and all the work that I've done and the trauma that I've broken down so that he could thrive. I beat all of my childhood demons. Every battle I ever had, I fought so that he could be this amazing thing. And he is, and it's so cool. And he's just, he's wickedly funny and smart and loving and kind. And he's all the best of me that I didn't know was there until I got to this point. It's really cool being his mom. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been able to be open with him about your journey and your story with having the book out there that now everyone knows what's going on and now you can be open with him? So I have actually brought him into the mental health conversations. Um, I have always changed the the agenda so that it was age appropriate. Yeah. Um, I'm a really big fan of apologizing when I make mistakes, which is something that I didn't get from adults growing up. You know, your mom was perfect. Your dad was perfect. Actually, no, they weren't. They just never apologized. So you just always assumed they were right. Um, I am very quick to apologize when I make mistakes or when I lose my cool. So bringing him into my process, but making it age appropriate for him, you know, having him see me have a panic attack and go, okay, hey, so this looks scary. Here's what's actually happening. Here's what I'm going to do to resolve this. So that when he was having an audition for a band and he was anxious and got all the upset stomach butterflies, I could go, hey, this is just anxiety. It's okay. This is what's going to happen, even if it goes absolutely awful. And here's what's going to happen if it goes great. And no matter what happens, you're still going to be the same person at the end of it. So it's okay to feel this way. Just you have to make sure that the emotions don't rule you. You rule the emotions. And so like giving him this awareness, teaching him what boundaries are, you know, all of these things that, you know, we don't teach children that we really should, um, you know, he's kind of got an unfair advantage because he has all of these coping mechanisms and skills and, and wherewithal about his body and his brain that a lot of people don't, a lot of adults don't have, but he's had a safe place to explore them. Now he has not read the book. I don't think that he needs to read the book. If he decides as an adult that he would like to, he's more than welcome to, we keep a copy on the coffee table. I'm kind of proud of it. He actually took the cover photo because mom's a photographer and taught him how. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I, I don't hide things from him. If he asks questions, I give honest answers. I've always tried to give him autonomy and a safe space to say, I'd rather ask my mom because I really don't trust my friends to tell me the real deal. I know my mom will give me the facts, mm-hmm. but I also give it to him in a way where if it's something that I think he might be embarrassed by, we'll do it via text. Or if it's something about, you know, his developing body. Like, hey, it's okay if you have questions. If I can't answer them, we'll go look it up together because we don't have the same parts. But we'll figure it out. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just something different or new. And that's okay. Everybody's body is weird as they're growing. I'm in my 40s now. My body is still weird. I get pimples and gray hairs. Did not ask for either. And yet here we are. (laughs) So 
it's really just giving him the freedom to exist and have a safe place to come to with questions and concerns and kind of guiding him so that he doesn't develop depression and anxiety. Obviously you can't prevent them, but if you can learn to manage them, they're not so bad. Something we like to do with all of our guests for our listeners is even learn more about the individual as we've gone through your journey and you talked about a few things that you enjoy doing. What is something you like to do on a daily basis that we haven't talked about? I really like doom scrolling on Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) I have this terrible habit. So like from sun up to sundown and usually like I'm getting into bed at like 10 o'clock at night. And like, I just want an hour where I'm not a mom. I'm not a business owner. I'm not a wife. I'm not quite tired. The melatonin hasn't quite kicked in. So I kick on Reddit and I just scroll (laughs) and I scroll until I nod off. And it's like this guilty pleasure. And I know I should use that hour to get good sleep, but damn it. It's my time. And I really (laughs) like it. (laughs) So on Reddit, I'm wound too tight. Uh, that's kind of how I feel in life. Uh, you can always reach out and say hi. <laughs> I mean, Reddit, you never know what you're going to find, but sometimes you can find something interesting to read about or learn about. I, I learn all kinds of things. I, you know, it's, it's just fun. It's quiet. Unlike TikTok, you know, <laughs> yeah. TikTok, TikTok won't help me fall asleep. With Reddit, it's a reading format. And eventually my eyes will get heavy. I'll just kind of nod off. So, yeah, I, I doom scroll Reddit every night religiously. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong. I mean, when you mentioned the whole, like, TikTok, I don't use TikTok, but, like, Instagram Reels or Facebook Reels, I'll just start scrolling. And if the ones that start playing music, it's like, okay, you got my attention. And then they start playing music I like. I'm like, okay, you really got my attention now. And I'm just sending them to my friends. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, what's what's recommending you these TikToks or stuff? You know they're your best friend when you send each other TikToks or reels. Yes. And yes. if they don't respond, you don't need that negative energy in your life. I, I will say that, like, I am a person that loves, like, water places. So, like, waterfalls, fountains. Like, go, I will go on hikes if there's, like, water features and stuff. My friends will send me places like, oh, you need to go here. And it's that kind. And I'm like, that's why we're friends. Well, one of many (laughs) things. But I will start sending my friend loves like Alaska. He wants to go on like a, a polar cruise ship. And I am not that person. But I keep sending him like these water things. It's everywhere cold and like all the in Alaska in the Antarctic place. I'm like, okay, I guess I have to go now because I'm finding things that you like, but I'm liking. Yeah, that whole cruise ship thing. Like because I work in health, the petri dish. But like that's really the best way to see Alaska, other than like yeah. plane. Yeah, I'm gonna have to bite the bullet on that one too. <laughs> The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? It's literally 24 hours. Each day is 24 hours. If it didn't go the way you needed it to go today, it's okay. You can try again or do something different or reach out for help the next day. Yep. Well, Jacqueline, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. 
Thank you, Alex. This was a lot of fun. And thanks for getting me to confess my doom scrolling. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time. Hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.